right, praise God. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? I'm so pumped for uh, one service because uh, I'm so excited to see uh, everyone together uh, in one room as one big family. Also, like, I don't really have to pay attention to the clock anymore because uh, yeah. 9.30 was just, like, so close. Now I can just kind of stop when I want, right? Just, okay, never mind, never mind. Uh, well, once again, welcome. My name is uh, Pastor Alberto. I, I have the privilege of leading this church alongside our awesome uh, team of elders, and this is our time of, of worship in the Word. We believe that this whole gathering, the Sunday morning gathering, is all worship, every single moment. As we come together, we're worshiping in community and living as a family that God has called us to be. When we sing songs, we're not just uh, singing songs uh, about God, but we're worshiping God together, lifting our voices and praising the God that, that we're in love and so passionate about. When we give, we give generously, and we believe that is an act of worship. As we say, Lord, uh, take these awesome finances that you've blessed me with, and I want to give it right back to you in an act of worship. And then when we get into the word, we believe that this is also worship. As we look into the word and we stand in awe of who God is and what he's done for us. And so thank you. Thank you for carving out time this morning to worship with us. We're going to dive straight into the word. So we've been in a series through the book of James called A Faith That Works. And this is week three of our sermon series uh, that we'll be going through this summer as we sort of open up this book and, and tackle this subject. That idea that faith isn't just a faith that saves us, it's a, a faith that sustains us and is at work in every area of our life. And one of the dangers that we can find ourselves in is when we claim faith in Jesus but our life doesn't necessarily represent or exude that faith. And Maybe you've seen people like this. Maybe you know people like this. Uh, and, and the worst case scenario of this is what Jesus would call a, a hypocrite, that nasty H word, where, where, where you're claiming that you are this person of faith, but in reality you're just wearing a mask, and, and that faith hasn't touched every part of your life. And James, as he's writing to this, this group that he finds, they find themselves in the early church of Jerusalem, he's encouraging them, saying them that, that your faith has saved you, but also uh, be diligent uh, to, to put your faith in action. Because as we put our faith in action, as we experience the obedience that comes from doing the work of faith, we also grow in closer intimacy and relationship with God. And so this week, we've, we're still in chapter 1. We're going to be wrapping up chapter 1 soon, but we are looking at verses 12 through 18. James chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. And I want to invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. James chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. This is what it says. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Verse 15, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated as we pray. 
Lord, we come in Jesus' name. Just so thankful to be here. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for every single person that's walked into this room. Thank you for for gathering us and and just allowing us to to gather as your people, as your church. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for these next few moments that you would open up our hearts, our mind, our ears, to see you and to hear you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the work of going before us and and preparing us to not just hear the word, but to receive it, not just receive it, but to put it into practice. Lord, would you make our heart good soil? Would you remove any distractions, any fears, any worries? Would Holy Spirit, would you come and consume us with the perfect love of the Father? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, so, uh, trigger warning, if that's a thing. Uh, everybody remember the winter storm a few months ago? Uh, yeah, that, that, that terrible snow, COVID apocalypse. Uh, at first, it started off really fun, like, oh, man, there's snow, and, and we live in Texas, and, and this is awesome, and I got to take my son out to play in the snow, and, and he hated it, and then uh, I come back inside, and, and you scroll through social media, and then that was, like, so short-lived, because uh, the rest of the world was falling apart. Uh, and what was interesting to notice, at, at least where I live, um, as the snow began to slowly melt away, I noticed something very unusual is that there was just a lot of dog waste everywhere. Uh, and and can, you, can you, I live at this apartment, and can you blame, you know, the, the dog owners? Like, who wants to pick up, you know, dog waste in the snow as it falls in? It's just really inconvenient, impractical, it doesn't work. And so what I noticed is as the snow began to melt away, what was revealed and what was left behind was all sorts of junk, and, and it has me thinking about our own lives, is that sometimes in life we can be so consumed with whatever immediate affliction we're facing, whatever trial or tribulation we're going through, whatever distraction at work or parenting frustration we're experiencing, and it seems like those things are, are so close to us that, that, that the internal things that we're experiencing, our heart and our soul is, is sort of pushed to the side and and, and, and once, you know, those immediate afflictions or things we're going through fade away, we sort of see what was there the whole time. Once that problem at work settles, we begin to see what was really inside of our hearts. Once the finances get resolved, we see how much we fail to trust God. And once sort of life begins to, to, to settle, we really begin to see what's there. And it has me thinking of this idea that when God takes us through these sort of things uh, where, where he begins to reveal the junk in our life, he always does it for the purpose of healing. Anytime God reveals our sin or sinfulness, anytime God reveals our brokenness, it's never done from a place of shame, but it's always done from a place of love to show us what's really there and to heal it. God always reveals and he heals Now, what the enemy wants to do is the exact opposite. What the enemy wants to do is take that moment of of, of revelation of what God is showing you in your life, and he wants to steal. Where God wants to reveal and heal, the enemy wants to reveal and steal your joy, steal your identity, uh, steal purpose, steal life, and convince you that the junk that you're seeing, the junk that you're experiencing, the sinfulness that you're identifying yourself with is your identity. That's what the enemy wants to do. And, the, and that's the temptation is that when we're experiencing sort of any sort of trial, any sort of tribulation, and use Bible words, in reality, any sort of hurt or pain, there's always this temptation 
to use that experience to take you closer to sin instead of more intimacy with God. And that's what James is about to show us in this scripture. He's, he's showing us that these trials and tests that, that we go through are for the purpose of refining our faith and drawing us closer to God. But there's a transition that can happen if we're not careful where those trials can turn into temptations. And those temptations give birth to all sorts of sin and death. Let's look at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So this idea is, is all over the New Testament, uh, compared to like an athlete running the race or competing in the Olympics. Blessed is the person who continues to endure and fight the good fight. For when the fight is over, uh, regardless of how beaten you are, regardless of how shaken you are, you will be deemed victorious and you'll receive this crown of life. And James is sort of sharing this to, to, to his congregation, to his group of people, to kind of help spur on faith and, and faithfulness in Jesus. And one of, the, one of the temptations that they're experiencing is that they're getting so torn by the world, being pulled in every single direction, experiencing all sorts of doubt and discouragement, and letting that discouragement take them to a place of even more sinfulness and separation from God instead of into deeper intimacy with the Lord. And so he begins to say in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So in this moment, James does not claim that God never allows temptation in our lives. Nor does he imply that God never tests his people. What he is saying here is that he's denying the idea that God tests people with an evil intent. That God tests people with this intent of leading them into sin. God is incapable of doing that, and God will not do that. So let's talk about this uh, word temptation for a moment. Uh, The Greek and Hebrew words just have such a a broad range for these two words. Test, trial, temptation. They all kind of sort of mean the same thing in the root word, but have sort of different ideas depending on how it's used in the scripture. And so uh, the word temptation has a positive and a negative sense. Uh, in, In the negative sense, it's this idea of like hostile enticement. Uh, that leads a person to do a deliberate act of evil against God. Uh, the, the way that the enemy tempted Adam and Eve and said, hey, just take a bite of this forbidden fruit that God told you not to eat from. There's this enticement. There's this leading into this deliberate act of evil and sin. That's the negative idea of temptation. Uh, the positive idea is, is when we see the word testing. Uh, this idea of, of, of testing to, to reveal faithfulness, to reveal truthfulness, to reveal character, testing to see what's all really there and, and what needs to sort of be refined. Uh, God tests us, but the scripture makes it very clear uh, that we shall not put God to the test. Uh, why? Because when we're challenging God, when we're testing him, it's this deliberate act, an expression of unbelief, of doubt of disobedience, of, of rebellion. When we assume to test God or, 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 or to put God on demand and say, Lord, if you really love me, you'll bring this person into my life. Or, or Lord, if you really care for me, you will deliver me from the situation. And the scriptures make it very clear that we shall not put the Lord, our God, to that sort of testing because what it immediately assumes is that it's coming from this place of disbelief. 
It's coming from this place of, of doubt and disobedience and rebellion. And so there's this negative idea that, that, that temptation sort of is, leads us to sin or this positive idea that temptation is about refining and revealing the faithfulness and true character of something. And, and what's interesting to notice is that every trial, every test brings temptation with it. Every trial, every test that you will experience in your life will bring a temptation with it. When we face a financial difficulty, what are we tempted to do? To distrust God's provision over our life. And then how are we uh, tempted to act upon sinfully? Well, we take matters into our own hand. Uh, and, and, and we begin to sort of rebel against the Lord by trying to uh, do whatever we can to sort of sustain our lifestyle or to pursue a lifestyle that we feel will make us comfortable at the expense of others. When someone we love dies, we are tempted to question God's love. God, how could you do something like this? God, I thought you were a God of love and, and, and peace. And why is there so much evil? And why is there so much brokenness? Does God even exist when we experience that kind of loss? We're tempted to question God's love. When we experience unjust suffering, what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to challenge God's justice. And so we take matters into our own hand uh, because I've suffered unjustly and I want to get revenge or be vindicated and I will not be treated this way. And so we assume the role of judge and begin to enact or impugn God's justice. When we experience unjust suffering, we're tempted to challenge God's justice and sovereignty. And I love this quote from Douglas Moon. He says, what can change a trial into a temptation? The attitude with which we meet it. What can change a trial into a temptation? The attitude with which we meet it. Because you have to understand that a trial does not start as a temptation. It turns into one. God, in his sovereign ways, takes these experiences that we're going through and uses them for our good to craft godliness, to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. And when our attitude is perverted towards what God is doing, what can immediately happen is we take this trial and it turns into a temptation to rebel and to sin against the Lord. I mean, think about this. What you believe about God, the experiences that you have with God will ultimately frame the way you view difficult moments in your life. The moments of life where you feel tempted to rebel against the Lord or or you feel like you want to give in to sin are ultimately framed primarily by how you view and think about the Lord to begin with. If you view the Lord as the sovereign provider who richly meets every single one of your needs and you really believe that the scripture says that, that he will not let one of his children go hungry and that even when you feel moments of lack, you can be ultimately filled with God's presence and sustained by his love. If you truly feel and believe that, then when you experience a trial that's directly related to your finances, you will not be tempted to question God's, God's love or hand of provision over your life because you know that you know that you know. That God is good and faithful. The way that we view God, the way that we experience God, the way that we think about God will ultimately frame the way that we go through temptation. 
If you view God as your ultimate source of identity and love, and that an intimate relationship with him can satisfy you like nothing else, then you'll be less tempted to give into giving your love or your heart away to someone or something else that you think can satisfy you. When you view God as the sovereign Lord who orchestrates and controls every moment of your life, then the worst parts of your life that you, can, you experience, you can rest secured and assured that God is in control. And whatever he is doing, the scripture remains true that it is for your good. And that God is not withholding anything back from you. And instead of finding yourself in a place of isolation, you run closer and closer to the Lord who loves you and desires you. What we believe about God, the experiences that we have with God, will ultimately frame the way you view these difficult moments in life. And if these views of God are skewed, even incomplete, the trials that the Lord wants to use in your life for your good, the enemy will turn into temptations to sin and bring forth death. And so where does this come from? How does, how does this happen? Why, why does it seem like this is like the normal mode? Because if you're honest and I'm, I'm honest, it seems like it, it's more easy to be inclined towards giving in towards these false, incomplete, shallow views of the Lord. When it seems like the struggle is real and the pain is before you, it seems like the last thing that you're able to naturally do is put God into perspective in order to see everything clearly. And the scriptures make it very clear that there's this mechanism inside of you. This mechanism at work that is purposefully pushing you away and rebelling towards the Lord. And this mechanism of sin, when it's not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, only moves us to drift further and further away from God. And that's why verse 13 makes it very clear that, that God does not test us. He, he will never tempt us. Rather, when we give in to these desires of temptation, it's not God's work in our lives. Rather, it's this mechanism inside of us that's enticing us and moving us towards temptation. The scriptures make it very clear that God does not tempt us to do evil. Rather, God uses the circumstances that we're going through to to test our faith with the intended purpose of promoting good in the end. On top of that, Paul lets us know that God has made available for us all of the resources that we need to overcome temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Praise God. Praise God that the experiences that you're going through that feel like it's only you in God's grace and kindness has shown you that somebody else has gone through this too. That somebody else is going through this. And that there's hope for you because God at work in a previous person's life who experienced this temptation or currently has come out victorious. And if you know no one, you know Jesus who experienced every single temptation known to man and came out and conquered And received victory. No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful. He will not lead you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Uh, In God's great kindness and mercy, it's very important that you know that, that you're not left to yourself when you struggle. 
that you are not isolated, though you may have isolated yourself. You are not alone when you experience uh, this addiction and brokenness that you think you cannot shake off. God in his power and his spirit comes alongside of you and in you and emboldens you to be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray like this in in Matthew 6.13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this means two things. It's the idea that, that God, please remove this test of my faith. The same way that that, that Jesus cried out, uh, Lord, remove this cup from me in the Garden of Gethsemane, but not my will, but yours be done. This idea that, Lord, if it is in your will, would you remove this burden? Would you remove this temptation? And then the second thing this means is that if God does not remove it, then, Lord, let this testing not become an occasion for temptation. Lord, let this trial, let this struggle, let this pain that I'm experiencing not become an occasion for further separation from you, but let it be one that draws me closer to your wonderful heart. You see, it's important that we know that temptation is not a sin. The temptations that you experience to give in uh, to all sorts of uh, uh, ideas of self-control or sexual desires or, 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 or feelings for, for control and power or giving in to anger, those things, uh, temptation is not a sin. Embracing temptation is. It's letting go and, and going the full course uh, 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 of temptation or, or that sin that temptation promises and giving yourself to that and fully embracing and practicing that sin. That's when that action becomes a sin. And it's important that we know that these trials that we experience are, are tests to be passed, not temptations or opportunities to sin. The trials, the life, the struggles, the pain, the hurt that you experience, the day-to-day, the normal stuff are are tests to be passed that refine our faith, that grow us closer to Jesus, not necessarily opportunities to sin. So James goes on to say in, in, in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So God tempts no one. Giving into sin is entirely the responsibility of the person who makes the choice to do so. And, and the reason why is that, as we discussed earlier, there's this mechanism working within us, what Paul calls the desires of the flesh that completely oppose the will and the kingdom of God that lead us to believe that a life apart from God or the things that we want to get apart from God are good and better than a relationship with Jesus. And then he goes on to say in verse 15, then this desire, the desire is not a problem. The desire for intimacy is not a problem. It's a good thing. It's a God-given desire that that he has placed within us to be satisfied in a relationship with Jesus, not in a relationship with a person that he hasn't called you to be with. The desire to feel secure is a wonderful desire, but it's not meant to be fulfilled by finances financial security. It's not meant to be fulfilled or satisfied uh, by job security, but one that is a steadfast confidence that the God of the universe holds you and will sustain you and will maintain you. These desires that we experience in and of themselves are not bad, but when they lead us away from God, they can turn into these opportunities that bring forth death, as James says in verse 15. And this is the reality that we all must be made aware of, that unchecked sin in your life will bring death. 
unchecked sin in your life will bring death. Uh, Unrepentant sin in your life will bring death because sin is not this isolated thing that is uh, at work in one compartment of your life. Rather, sin taints and destroys every area of your life if it continues to remain unchecked. So what starts off as, um, you know, this small practice of, uh, you know, being, you know, financially wasteful and, and, and not stewarding the resources that God has entrusted you can lead to all sorts of brokenness in your family and your relationships. Uh, what starts as this easy habit of clicking and scrolling online and you think that this habit you have checked and, and, you, and you haven't sort of, you know, given into that in weeks or months can eventually come up in your life through a new desire where you're beginning to seek intimacy, maybe not with a computer screen, but with something or someone else. You see, unchecked sin in your life will always resurface itself, maybe not in the a way that it appeared the first time, but it will always resurface itself in one way or another. And that's why Jesus is so adamant about saying that, hey, don't just, don't just get your behavior right, uh, because that changes nothing. He is so adamant about quenching the fire of sin in your heart so that it can, it can burn nothing else in your life. And that's why he says that, that I, don't, I don't just want to, like, put a Band-Aid over your heart. I want to completely replace it. I want to completely give you a brand new heart so that your desires are not the desires of the flesh, but are the desires of my spirit. And so instead of being lured and enticed by what the world has to offer, now you have this new heart and this new desire inside of you that is not of the world, but of the kingdom of God itself that overshadows and overtakes all the sort of uh, worldly things that we might want to consume ourselves with. And when we feel this lure to give in to our former nature, that's what Paul calls it. Jesus says that we're, we have new life in Christ. And so we have this ability this power to say no to the things of the world and say yes to Jesus. And Jesus is so, ad, as, as we shared last week, is, is that the, even the minor sins in our life can be the one spark that set a, a, a wildfire and destroy acres and homes and all sorts of property as we've seen in the past. And that same spark, maybe it's not resurfacing itself in the original way, but can light a whole other area of your life on fire that leads to all sorts of economic, financial, uh, relational breakdown. And Jesus is so adamant about, in the most kind, loving way possible, about not letting sin go unchecked in our heart. Because Jesus, God himself, knows how much death that can bring about in our lives. It's not this idea that, that you will be perfectly sinless. That's not what God is asking us. Rather, it's this idea that our lives are in constant submission to the Lordship of Christ. And so when we do give in to temptation, our first response is not to run away from God, as our first parents did, but to run to Jesus and embrace his kindness and his love and let that kindness and let that love become the motivating thing in your life that draws you closer to Jesus when you have failed epically. Um, the, uh, my, my wife and I, uh, well, she's really good about, uh, paying bills that I forget to pay. Uh, <laughs> and so one of them is a, an insurance bill that a check that we send every month. And, uh, one month she, she sent it in late and she was like, Oh no, I'm going to get a late fee. This is going to be so bad. And, 
And she dreaded calling this insurance company and saying, I'm so sorry, I forgot to make this payment. And uh, they said, uh, she was totally shocked and surprised. She said, hey, there's absolutely no worries. You did nothing wrong. Thank you for calling in. We'll waive this late fee. And Morgan was like, they were so kind and they were so loving that I never want to be late again. And I love that idea. Like, it's the same idea with God, is that God is so loving and he's so kind. When you come to him with your brokenness, when you come to him with the things that you think he will reject you for, and he receives you with so much love, and he receives you with so much grace, and he receives you with so much kindness, that Paul says that that kindness draws you to even more repentance, that it leads us to repentance. Like, think about that. Like, the things that that you might be personally disgusted with or frustrated with or just can't get a grip on are the very things that the living God of the universe wants to meet you with and and, and show you that, that those places are opportunities for him to overwhelm you with his love, not opportunities to, to cast shame or judgment. And the more we draw near to God with repentance, the more we experience his kindness and his love. And I believe it moves us to this place of saying something like that, that God is so good, that God is so faithful, that God is so loving. Why on earth would I continue to entertain this thing he died for? Let's consider the life of Jesus. Jesus was, uh, was, Jesus's life was one of continual temptations, In fact, during his last supper, during his last dinner with his disciples, he said, you've been with me through all my trials. And and I just love the way that it reads. He's like, you guys were with me through all the trials and temptations that I've experienced every single day. From the religious elite constantly testing Jesus, if you truly are the son of God, will you do this? If you truly are the son of man, will you do this? Have you considered this scripture? What do you think about this? All of these moments in Jesus' life where he's constantly being tempted by what society would say were the good people. Tempted with, with uh, trying to reveal his divinity according to their standards. Constantly seeking a sign. And if it wasn't the religious elite, it was Satan opposing every single part of Jesus' mission to establish the kingdom of God on earth. To provide salvation through the cross. And the enemy initiating all sorts of temptation against Jesus, whether it was in the wilderness questioning his identity, uh, inflicting upon a number of afflictions, uh, whether it was Jesus being left by Peter, where Jesus says that that, that Peter was given over to be Satan, to be sifted like wheat, or whether it was being betrayed by by Judas because Judas was enticed by this desire of greed in his heart, that instead of leading him towards Jesus, who could sufficiently meet all of his needs, led him to betray him. Jesus' life was one of constant trials and temptations. When Jesus needed his closest companions to support him in the garden of Gethsemane as he's feeling the anguish of death come upon him and he's sweating blood, Peter, James, and John are sleeping. And Jesus says, will you pray? Will you pray with me and ask the Spirit to keep you from falling asleep so that you may not enter into temptation? And what do they do? They fall asleep. Jesus' life was one of constant temptations, but what we see in the life of Christ is that no temptation that Jesus experienced ever led him to betray or to sin against God, but it led him into closer intimacy with God the Father. Why? So that you and I, 
who have in many ways have given into temptation this morning, this week, you and I who have betrayed God just like Judas, you and I who have fallen asleep on the Lord, who have made commitments to the Lord that we failed to keep so that you and I who have failed, who have rebelled, who have given into the sin over and over and over again that Jesus died for, Jesus remained faithful so that we could be accepted and welcomed as though we had never sinned, as though we had never failed God, as though we had never betrayed him or failed him. And this is what makes the gospel such good news, is that when you fail God, when you reject God, when you betray God, when you feel like you let God down and you disappointed him, he will not abandon you. He will not reject you. He will not leave you to yourself. He will not take your circumstances and your afflictions and your trials and your tribulations and all these parts of your life that you consider unworthy. He will not count those things against you. He will welcome you and he will receive you as as one who has never sinned against him because Jesus died in our place as one who eternally sinned against God, who failed God, who let God down, who abandoned him. Jesus died in our place. So that God can receive us and receive Christ's faithfulness and Christ's victory and Christ's identity inside of us. When you fail, epically, when you give into that thing that you knew you weren't going to give into, when you sin against the Lord, you can rest secure that God has not abandoned you or left you. Rather, he is ever present with you, waiting to meet your repentance with his kindness, with his love, with his grace. And and this is what makes um, verse 17 and 18 so incredible uh, when the scripture says that every good, he says, verse 16, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't get this wrong. If you miss everything I said, don't be deceived, don't get this wrong. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This should bring you incredible peace. That that God will not change, that God's position or love towards you does not vary, that it completely stands alone from your best accomplishments and your worst accomplishments. God is unchanging. And so what that means for you and I is that God receives us constantly with love and grace and mercy that is completely independent of who we are or what we've done. God has not changed his mind about you. God has not changed his thoughts about you. God is delighted in you. God loves you. God is crazy about you. Listen, when you are in knee deep in sin and rebelling against the Lord and giving into everything that God hates, God looks at you with love. And his mind has not changed about you. He has not removed his grace and his mercy. His heart breaks because he has something way better for you that he is constantly drawing us back into, away from the things that he died for and into deeper intimacy and relationship with him. This is such good news. 
This is why Hebrews uh, says, as we, we come to a close, uh, that since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So that means that in every area of your life, you can draw near to Jesus, and Jesus can draw near to you, and he can sympathize. He can empathize with what you're going through because he has experienced everything. And you can draw near to a person, to a power, to a presence that is far greater than what you're experiencing and one who has experienced great victory and great joy and great peace. Verse 16, let us in with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you find yourself in a time of need, Come find the grace that has found you. Come draw near to the throne of grace. You don't have to walk through a maze, knock on the door, see if God is in town. Come, find the grace that has first found you. Draw near to the throne that has come down and drawn near to you, and God promises to receive us with his great love and kindness, and that love and kindness will embolden us, will empower us, will sustain us. Come, draw near. Let's pray before we worship in communion. Lord, I thank you that you are so easy to access. Lord, I praise you that you are so present. Lord, I praise you that uh, we can draw near to your throne because you drew near to our cross with our sin. And died for our sin, conquered our sin. So that when we experience these moments that want to divide us or move us away from you, they can be opportunities to draw closer to your jealous heart. Holy Spirit, I pray that this morning you would make us aware of this love, of this grace, of this power. I pray that you would come and and give us a vision for how incredible you are and how amazing you are that would move us to awe. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and instill a supernatural confidence that would enable us to draw near to the Lord, to receive mercy and find grace. In Jesus' name, amen.